have a seat for a minute, I'm going to read a couple verses from Psalm 48. Psalm 48 and verse 9 says, We have thought on your steadfast love, O God, in the midst of your temple. As your name, O God, so your praise reaches to the ends of the earth. Your right hand is filled with righteousness. Let Mount Zion be glad. Let the daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgments. And just uh, that thought that um, we come here today, we don't, we're not gathering in a temple, we're gathering uh, in, this, in this church building, but we're coming here to meditate and to think upon the Lord. And I know sometimes uh, you, you get ready in the morning and you're rushing around and, and it's sometimes hard just to stop and pause. So I'm going to invite you before we sing this next song just to bow your head in your, in your seat. Um, and to, to listen to us play for just a bit before we sing this next song and, and take this opportunity to ask God to uh, clear the distractions from your mind and, and to focus uh, your heart and your mind on, on Jesus and on what God has done for us. So good to have everyone here today. I just have a couple of announcements, and then I'm going to have Doug come up and share something about small groups. Uh, in case you missed uh, missed the hype yesterday, college football is back, and in the spirit of uh, the big game coming up next week, there will be a Shens gathering. Uh, really, I think, open to anyone who wants to participate, but it's put on by the Shens group. There is a, a noon tailgate here at the church, so see the sign-up sheet out front. I'm sure uh, if you want to wear your favorite team's colors, that will be uh, encouraged and appreciated. Uh, that's at noon. Uh, be done in time so that you can go home and watch, watch the game. So uh, look for that in the bulletin and look for the sign-up sheet if you'd like to be involved with that. Also next week, there is a get-to-know-us lunch. So if you're new to Creekside, if you haven't had a chance to attend a get-to-know-us lunch, it's really an opportunity to learn some more about uh, Creekside. Um, there'll be some more information about just some of our fundamental beliefs and our practices, and uh, it's an opportunity to uh, understand a little bit about our membership process as well. So that's next week. If you would like to be involved in that, look in your bulletin. Uh, I think we would prefer it if you would RSVP in the bulletin, uh, so the information is in there if you'd like to do that. So um, I think with that, I'm going to invite Doug to come up. And uh, I think this microphone up here should be on, so you should be able to use that. Good morning, everyone. Um, it's that time of year. We're kind of starting the fall activities back up. And one of those activities that we uh, typically do through Creekside is small groups. Small group uh, is an opportunity for you to really get connected um, with people in the congregation, with people that are going to support you, pray for you, pray for your family. Um, and this can be either a short-term venture or a long-term um, we're going to have some studies that maybe only run a few weeks. We'll have some that may go, you know, throughout and to, through the spring. So I'm asking to sign up. There's a sign-up sheet out on the Welcome Center. Um, you can kind of give a little bit of your interest there, but I will be contacting everyone that signs up, and you can kind of individually tell me what you're looking for, um, and we can kind of place you in a group that, that kind of matches that. We obviously can't meet everybody's expectations. Um, we didn't get a lot of people sign up for the 4.30 a.m. one. Um, you know, I'm not sure why, but uh, anyway, we'll, we'll try to meet uh, 
you know, as many of the, of the goals as we possibly can. Um, most of them meet, tend to meet on Sunday nights, but that's not uh, an absolute. So if we have a group of people that want to meet other nights, um, that's great as well. So please sign up, and again, I'll be in touch, and we'll, we'll try to work out. There's a number of sign-up sheets out there, so make sure you're signing up for the, the correct thing. Not the, you can sign up for the Cyhawk, but this is small groups, so make sure you're getting that uh, sign up uh, on there. So if you have any questions, please let me know. Thanks. Just want to really extend a, a welcome to you. If uh, some of you, if you're here as a guest, some we have people coming in. If this is your very first time, uh, or if it's not your very first time, there is an additional fold on the bulletin, and it would be our pleasure if you would fill that out and put it in the offering box, just so we have a record of your attendance, that we can acknowledge your presence with us. And that offering box is out on the table in the entryway. Thank you, praise team, for leading us. I'd invite you to worship with me as we pray together. Father, uh, thank you uh, for the powerful message of these songs. And you have uh, been so, so good, even in the midst of troubles and difficulties. And I know uh, that you care deeply about us. And so I thank you that we do not have to walk through uh, this life alone but that you provide good and great guidance and encouragement and strength in the promise of forgiveness and the hope of eternal life. And I ask now that as we open your word, uh, that you'd open our hearts uh, to the truths that are contained in it, Father. And I pray that you would speak uh, to each of our hearts in a way that you know that we need to, to hear. And I ask that you would work to accomplish your purposes in and through each of us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The caption on the cartoon that was posted in the Sunday school class room that I attended in junior high, and I think I may have actually uh, told you this before, so if this is not new, that's okay, because it still serves the point, but the caption said this, going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going into a garage makes you a car. For some reason, here I am, you know, decades later, remembering that little caption. And the reason I remember it is that because religious people, and now as a pastor, I see religious people who go through the motions who are not actually Christians. And that troubles me. And it troubles me that there are people that attend church, even this church, for whom that may be true. And what I want to say is that proximity to God and religious action, activity, do not equate with intimacy. They, they don't, one doesn't mean the other. And in fact, the activity without intimacy, a relationship with God, leads to tragedy, which is exactly what we see in the illustra illustrated in the life of Saul in 1 Samuel chapter 28, verses 3 through 25. Now, we left off with chapter 28, verse 2, uncertain of what's going to happen to David last week. It's like, okay, the dude is 
enamored himself with, or the, he's made Achish and the, the Philistines enamored with him, and now the Philistines want to take him into battle against his own people. And he's in a, in a tough spot. But the fate of David, which we would expect to be addressed immediately after we saw the dilemma, is delayed. We don't see the result or the answer until chapter 29 when the Philistine army has gathered for war in the far southern part of, uh, of Judah, of uh, Aphek. And so we should go from chapter 28, verse 2. Uh, okay, I'm going to pause for a minute. Follow me if you can. I'm going to try to make this as, as uh, We should go from chapter 28, verse 2 to chapter 29, verse 1. That's what we should go to in, in the, if we're looking chronologically. But first, we have this interruption. In chapter 28, verses 3 through 25, of what happened after David's dilemma had been solved in chapter 29. So here's the deal. In chapter 28, verse 4, which we're going to get to in a minute, the Philistine army is poised for battle. Now I want you to see the map. Uh, we're going to put a map up so maybe this will help. Okay? So they're poised for battle right here in, in, uh, in Aphek. Okay? So that's where they came. They're, they're, they're down there in, in, uh, in, in Aphek. That's where they, the, the battle was supposed to start. Or that's where they gathered. And that's where David was. David and, and his men were with the Philistine army in Aphek. That's where they were gathering to go to battle. Well, what happens is, we find them in chapter 28 up here and here. Here's Israel. Here's, here's the, the Philistine army. In chapter 28, verse 4, this is what we read. So the Philistines gathered together and, and came and camped in Shunem, and Saul gathered all Israel together, and they camped in, in Gilboa. All right? So the setting, you can go back to the map if you would. The setting, the setting for ours, chapter 28 is here. David and his men, David was supposed to, he was in this problem with, with uh, the Philistines in chapter 28, verse 2. And so if you, the chronology should go from 28, verse 2, to chapter 29, because chapter 29 solves David's dilemma. And he gets his solved right here, down it here. They decide what they're going to do with David. David's not going to go to battle with them. So David gets to stay here, but they sneak up and go here. In chapter 28, verse 4, we're right here. Could go 28.2 to 29. Problem solved. After 29, then we get to chapter 28, verses 3 through 25. I'll hopefully I'll make it better if we see this next slide. There should be another slide. You give it the, out, the overview, go to the overview. Do we get an overview? Uh-oh, I'm in trouble now. Nope, that's not it. Okay, all right, well, what I want to say is, in chapter 28, the whole section, chapter 27 through chapter 31, the overview of this chapter is, these chapters is, in chapter 28, ver, 27 through 28, verse 2, is David's dilemma. In chapter 29 and 30 is God's deliverance. In chapter 28, verses 3 through 25, which we're going to talk about this morning, is Saul's dilemma without God. 
And God's destruction of him is in chapter 31. So chapter 28, verses 3 through 25, what I'm trying to say is not chronologically following the, the, realm, the way the text should go. But I think the author did it intentionally so that he could contrast David's dilemma and Saul's dilemma, David's deliverance with God and Saul's destruction without God. Okay, now I'm going to read the text. If I've totally lost you, we're okay because we're going we're to come back, all right? Chapter 28, verse 3. Now, Samuel was dead, and all Israel had lamented him and buried him in Ramah his own city, and Saul had removed from the land those who were mediums and spiritists. So the Philistines gathered together and came and camped in Shunem, and Saul gathered all Israel together, and they camped in Gilboa. When Saul saw the camp of the Philistines, he was afraid, and his heart trembled greatly. When Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by Urim or by prophets. Then Saul said to the servants, Seek for me, a woman who is a medium, that I may go to her and inquire of her. As, and his servants said to him, Behold, there is a woman who is a medium at Endor. Then Saul disguised himself by putting on other clothes, and he went, and, and two men went with him. And they came to the woman by night, and he said, Conjure up for me, please, and bring up for me whom I shall name to you. But the woman said to him, Behold, you know what Saul has done, how he has cut off those who are mediums and spiritists from the land. Why are you then laying a snare for me, for my life, to bring about my death? And Saul vowed to her by the Lord, saying, As the Lord lives, there shall no punishment come upon you for this thing. Then the woman said, Whom shall I bring up for you? And he said, Bring up Samuel for me. Then the woman saw Samuel and cried out with a loud voice. And the woman spoke to Saul, saying, Why have you deceived me? For you are Saul. And the king said to her, Do not be afraid, but what do you see? And the woman said to, to, to Saul, I see a divine being coming up out of the earth. And he said to her, What is this his form? And she said, An old man is coming up, and he is wrapped with a robe. And Saul knew that it was Samuel. And he bowed with his face to the ground and did homage. And then Samuel said to Saul, why, are you disturbed? Why, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? And Saul answered, I am greatly distressed, for the Philistines are waging war against me, and God has departed from me and answers me no more, either through prophets or by dreams. Therefore I have called you, that you may make known to me what I should do. And Samuel said, why then did you ask me, since the Lord has departed from you and has become your adversary? And the Lord has done according, accordingly as he spoke through me. For the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor, to David. As you did not obey the Lord and did not execute his fierce wrath on Amalek, so the Lord has done this thing to you. Moreover, the Lord will also give over Israel along with you into the hands of the Philistines. Therefore, tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. Indeed, the Lord will give over the army of the Philistines into the, uh, the army of Israel into the hands of the Philistines. Then Saul immediately fell full length upon the ground and was very afraid because, the words of, because of the words of Samuel. Also, there was no strength in him, for he had eaten no food all day and all night. 
And the woman came to Saul and saw, and saw that he was terrified and said to him, Behold, your maidservant has obeyed you, and I have taken my life in my hand and have listened to your words which you, have, you spoke to me. So now also, please listen to my voice, the voice of your maidservant, and let me set a piece of bread before you that you may eat and have strength when you go on your way. But he refused, and he said, I will not eat. However, his servants, together with the woman, urged him, and he listened to them. So he arose from the ground and sat on the bed, and the woman had a fattened calf in the house, and she quickly slaughtered it, and she took four flour and kneaded it and baked unleavened bread from it, and she brought it before Saul and his servants, and they ate, and they arose, and they went out away that night. You see... In, in this text, we're, we're introduced to the, uh, the, the dilemma that Saul had. David had a dilemma, Saul had a dilemma. And we see the, the tragedy, the hardship, the, the, the trouble of, of facing our enemies and our difficulties and failures with God on our side in the life of David. In the life of Saul, we see the tragedy, the horror of being in the face of all these enemies and all this discouragement and all this frustration without God. And so I see in this text uh, the, uh, the, the tragedy of not knowing God. What is it like to be alone without God in the face of difficulties and tragedies? And there are four dreadful ways that the text makes it evident that it is tragic to be without him in the midst of all that we face. And the first one is this, our Lord hides, um, you know, hides his way, but he hides, he hides from the faithless. And there are two conditions that contribute to Saul's desperation from which we learn how God deals with the rebellious. And first of all, there's this attack of the Philistines in verses 4 and 5, and then also in verse 15, the first part of verse 15, the Philistines had amassed at war. Now, you probably got lost in the map that I said. They, they, they were in Aphek in the south. That's where they gathered to decide what they're going to do with David. But then they traveled up to the north. That's where they were about to, to attack. Okay? And so they were there. And Saul saw him. And the text says he was terrified. He was frightened. He didn't know what to do. He was scared out of his mind. And the text actually says he was afraid and his heart trembled. And in verse 15, I am greatly distressed, he said. When I was a young boy, uh, not all that young, I guess, I was, I, was, I was in high school, I was working for a farmer and one of my jobs was I had to go out and, and feed the hogs. And I had to do it by hand. This was not augers and all that kind of stuff. So I, there was a huge pen, about 30 or 40 uh, large large uh, sows and there was a boar in there and the boar had huge tusks he was a huge massive thing and every time I showed up he'd start frothing at the mouth and he'd start chomping and then he'd follow me around everywhere I went and I had to get actually had to get into the pen I never took my eye off of him I was scared I was scared now fear is the territory of those apart from Christ in 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, perfect love casts out fear. But uh, fear is not unheard of among believers, right? I mean, sometimes we are afraid. But fear paralyzes us. Fear neutralizes us. Fear mobilizes us to do stupid stuff, uh, to, to do things that are harmful to us and to others. 
Now, some of you will remember very freshly uh, through the whole COVID pandemic. That whole thing caused people to freak out. And, uh, and people did some really, uh, I, I, I want to be careful here, uh, odd things, okay? And I told you, I remember, there was, I was standing in our house, which is along the trail, and I remember some guy, hearing some guy screaming on the trail. I think because someone was, and, and, and he was screaming, don't you know that COVID is here? And I went, Oh my, this, this, is, this is crazy. Fear causes us to panic and to do crazy things. And we see this in the life of, of Saul right here. Saul's fear was only compounded by the absence of God's voice. If you look at verse 3, it says this, that Samuel was dead. Now we saw this before. We, we've read this before, that Samuel had died. Back in chapter 25, we know Samuel had died and they buried him in, in Ramah. But the point is this, that, that God's voice through the prophet was gone, absent. And Saul had then, in the next verse, Saul had removed, rightly so, removed the spiritists and the mediums from, from the land. Okay, These people whose practices were detestable before God. These people, who's, who's, as participants, they, they were sinful. They sinned against God. This was sinful. And we also see that these practitioners in Leviticus chapter 20, they're punishable by death. So this was reprehensible, reprehensible to, to God's, God's mind. I want you to look at Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 10 through 12. You can see what God thought of these spiritists and, and mediums. And there shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or his daughter pass through the fire, one who uses divination or soothsaying, one who interprets omens or is a sorcerer, or one who would cast a spell or a medium or a spiritist or one who consults the dead. For whoever does these things is detestable before the Lord, and because of these detestable things, the Lord our God is going to drive them out before you. Not good stuff. Okay? But in verse 6, it says that Saul, he says, when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him. So Saul's freaked out. Samuel's gone. He removed the evil soothsayers. And now he goes to God. And God is silent. He doesn't speak to him by virtue of a dream. He doesn't speak to him by virtue of, uh, and you read this word, Urim, like, hmm. That sounds kind of odd. Well, uh, now, somebody may gather into this, but it's kind of like the Old Testament version of, of uh, rolling the dice, only it was a spiritualized way of discerning what God's will is and understanding and hearing from God. And the prophets were not speaking. And so God was silent. Unnerving silence from God. Okay? He was not speaking. And this was because of wickedness. I want you to see, I think we have, we have a slide of uh, Proverbs chapter 1. Uh, yeah, verses 24 through 29. Because I called and you refused, I stretched out my hand and no one paid attention. And you neglected all of my advice. This is God speaking. And did not want my rebuke. I will also laugh at your disaster. I will mock when your dread comes. 
And uh, when your dread comes like a storm and your disaster comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, when they will call on, then they will call on me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but I will not, they, will not, I will, they will not find me. Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. This is it. Without God, we don't hear from God. And when we go to God without God, He doesn't answer. Because we've rejected Him. Because the person has rejected Him. It's a pitiable spot. A spot to be pitied. He was, Saul was frightened and forsaken by God. And he panicked. He refused to trust God. And he decided to trust in himself. And he tried to turn to some godless and forbidden way of trying to understand what God was doing. So he went back to the very thing that he had prohibited. And I think the point for me is that the sad reality is that if you choose, if we choose to walk away from God, we would choose to reject God, God will hide from us. He'll hide himself He'll hide his ways from us. But he also does this. Our Lord humbles the faithless. In verses 8 through 14, there are two tactics that uh, God used to humble Saul that validate the fact that he does humble the faithless. First of all, God revealed his deception. So what did Saul do? Well, God's not going to answer. I'm going to go to a medium. So he disguised himself. Dressed up in different clothes. He was the king, you know, so he had to dress up in different clothes. And then he came by night. Now, there was no, not just a deception here. If you remember, he was, he was up there in, uh, in Gilboa, and he had to go to Endor. So he had to actually go through and sneak behind enemy lines to get to the witch at Endor. So there was other reasons why he was disguising himself, but this is what he did. He disguised himself, and he tried to cover up the, the corruption by disguising himself and coming by night. Remember, this is rules for thee, not for me. Right? He banned the, the spiritists. It, it's, it's, it's the thing that happened during the COVID, camp, uh, COVID pandemic. Remember Governor uh, of California, Gavin Newsom? He, they had pictures of him dining out at the, the, the French Laundry, which is some upscale restaurant. And he had basically closed every restaurant and every place and said, you can't go out and can't do this stuff. And it was rules for thee, but not for me. And this is what Saul was engaged in. And then Saul, the seriousness of Saul's offense is revealed when the woman says, why are you, why are you trying to trick me? Uh, this is my paraphrase, but uh, you know, look at verse 9. The woman says to him, but the woman said to him, Behold, you know what Saul has done, how he has cut off those who are mediums and spiritists from the... Why are you then laying a snare for my life? You're trying to trap me, revealing the, the evilness of it. And then Saul has the audacity in verse 10 to swear by God, to, to make an oath, to make a vow. As the Lord lives... Nothing's going to happen to you. Okay, just think about this. It, this exposed his blatant hypocrisy and his lack of respect, his lack of reverence for God. This proves he was without God. You see, he acknowledged the existence of God as the Lord lives. Okay, he acknowledged the existence of God and swore by the life of, of the, the God of the universe whose word he was actually disobeying at the time 
it's kind of like this. I, I tried to figure out what would this be. What could be like if, if the pastor of the church hired some uh, white-collar criminal uh, to aid them in embezzling funds and then told the white-collar criminal, well, I, I swear as, as the Lord lives, not, you're going to be okay. Nothing's, nothing's going to happen to you. And it's like, it's totally hypocritical. And then what is he supposed to, what does he ask someone to do? Bring up for me. It's like, whoa, bring up. Well, yeah, what he's asking her to do is to contact and make accessible someone who's already dead. So, anybody who's ever read this passage, and even now, if you've never read this passage, you're going, well, is, is that really a thing? What's going on here? Is that a thing. Well, I want you to look at uh, Luke chapter uh, 16. Uh, I think we have a slide. Luke chapter 16, verse 26. Yes or no? If we don't, I want you to turn there. Turn to Luke chapter six, 16. Okay. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Okay. Luke 16. Interesting passage because this is the story of rich man and Lazarus. Okay. Rich man and Lazarus. Rich man... Uh, has it all. He goes uh, to be uh, in the lake of fire, and uh, Lazarus is, has bad news during life, but he goes to be in the bosom of Abraham, verse 26. And besides all this, between us and you, there is a great chasm fixed. Because Lazarus is saying, I'm in agony. Can, uh, you know, can uh, the rich man come and, and give me some water and cool, my, cool myself? And he says, there's a great chasm fixed in order that those who wish to come over from here to you, those who are in eternity with God cannot pass over to those who are destined for destruction. So that's a chasm that's fixed. What we have here, if you look later on in verse uh, chapter 16 of, of Luke, um, the rich man says, okay, well then just send somebody to talk to my family. So they don't end up where I'm at. Well, Abraham never says that's not possible. But what Abraham says, it's really not profitable. Because if they didn't listen to Moses, they're not going to listen to somebody who's risen from the dead. So Abraham doesn't say you can't pass from the, the, the dead to the living. He says you can't pass from being in the presence of God to being in the presence of the evil one. Okay. And I take this, uh, that... If you think about the Mount of Transfiguration, this is Matthew chapter 17. In the Mount of Transfiguration, to whom did Jesus and the disciples enter into the presence of? Elijah and Moses, right? Came from the dead into the presence of the living. You go to the crucifixion. And once Jesus uh, was crucified, the temple veil was torn. And what happened? The dead came out of the graves and walked around. So it's not impossible, but it's very rare that this would happen. So this is not normative, not to be expected, not something that's common. Neither is it a sanctioning for what Saul did in calling up a median. So let's just get that on the table. It's not to be the practice of, of what we're expected to do. In fact, God had prohibited this idea of calling up uh, through mediums and stuff. So God permitted it for his purpose, and we're going to see that his purpose was very unpleasant for Saul. Okay, so this is, this is a, a reprimand to him. 
desperation, I guess the point I guess, desperation moves faithless people to employ drastic measures to find out the questions to their, their answers to their desperate questions. Okay? They want to know what's going on. I want to know what's going on. And so the sight, if we get back to the text, the sight of Samuel like freaked out the, the, the lady, right? She, she screams. Woo! Uh, verse 12. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice. <laughs> and she spoke to Saul saying, so it terrified her and it triggered somehow, I don't know why, how it did, but it triggered her understanding that Saul was deceiving her. He, she knew automatically that this was Saul. Now, she should rightly be terrified because in that moment, she was in the presence of the king who had outlawed her activity and she was in the presence of Samuel whose uh, modus operandi in the presence of uh, evil people that we saw last time in uh, 1 Samuel 15 was just hack them all to pieces. Okay, well, That's what he had done with the, the, the king of Amalek that they didn't destroy. Boom. Boom. Uh, so this is not a good place to be. So she was rightly terrified uh, at, at this activity. So God, God, first of all, he, he revealed his deception. And secondly, he revealed the dead. He, he, he brought Samuel to him, verses 13 and 14. And the king said to her, do not be afraid, but what do you see? And the woman said to Saul, I see a divine being, or the ESV says, a God. And then you go, wait a second. He's a God? No, the Hebrew word Elohim can be translated variously. Here it literally just means someone who has the appearance of a divine being. And you know that it's not a God because in verse 14, she clarifies it's an old man. Then you go, well, okay, so when we die... We, uh, we're, we're just like we are when we die, right? So if it's a young person, they're a young person, or an old man, they're an old man when they die. No, that's not saying that because Samuel didn't have his resurrected body. I don't know what we look like in our resurrected bodies. So just throwing that in for whatever. So what I'm trying to, the point I'm trying to make is not about all that. The point I'm trying to make is that Saul was humbled. What's his response? When he finds out that Samuel's there, he falls on his face and he does homage to Samuel. I think he's freaked out. I think he's, I think he's fearing for his life. The last time he encountered Samuel that way, he had ripped and torn, he'd torn his robe and then the kingdom was torn from him. And so I think he's afraid for his life. His playing at religion this is what I call it, his playing, because he was religious. He was playing at religion, had put him in a precarious spot. And what I want to say to each of us here is that it will do the same thing for us. If we're just playing at religion, we're just kind of coming to church and doing our church thing and pretending like we're a follower of Jesus just to go along with the crowd. It's dangerous. God will hide himself from us, his will and his way from us. He will humble us. And then we see, as we move on in the text, he will hammer us. Now, you see in your outline in the bulletin and on the screen, uh, I put in parentheses, well, I forgot to edit that part out, okay? This is, I'm, I'm, I'm in the process of 
doing this, so I didn't edit out his horse. Yeah, he is horse to us, but I wanted to say and focus on, he hammers us, and I chose it intentionally. There's three aspects of the Lord's condemnation to the faithless that we need to consider. First of all, the condition of alienation. What we see in the text here is that Samuel's interrogating Saul. And his interrogation actually uh, revealed Saul's isolation from God. It revealed his alienation from God. But it also relayed God's condemnation on Saul. His condemnation for his rejection of who Saul is. Okay, Why have you disturbed me? Samuel says there. You look at verse 15. Samuel said to Saul, Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? So what does Saul, Saul do? Goes back to his old playbook. Starts making excuses. Back in 13, back in chapter 15. Why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do this? Well, I was saving those, uh, all these animals for sacrifices, Lord. I was doing this. So why did you offer up the sacrifice in chapter 13 before I got there? Well, you know, the people were running around. They were leaving. And, you know, I just figured it's up to me to get something done. Here he is again. And what does he say? Philistines are out there. I'm like, that's a new thing. And then he says something that is very disturbing and sad. He highlighted the fact that God is absent. Verse 15, I am greatly distressed for the Philistines are waging war against me and God has departed from me and answers me no more. God's gone. God's not answering. And he's scared. And as I thought about that, I think, there's no more painful place to be. There's no more pitiable situation than God's absence and God's silence in the face of terrifying circumstances. Right now I'm praying for a a person that I know. His best friend just died. As far as I know, this person that I'm praying for is without God. But I'm praying. But I'm praying that they will listen and hear the voice of God before it's too late. Before God is absent and silent. What do you do? Those without God have no hope. They have no help because their resources are only self-centered and they're inadequate. What Saul needed, what these people need, is not information. What Saul's question is, I just don't know what to do. What they need and what we need to share with them is they need communion with God. They need a spiritual transformation. They need life, not death. When genuine believers, think about this. When genuine believers are, are, are abused, some of you, at work perhaps. When we're overwhelmed as students with classes and the demands of school. When we feel abandoned, as some of our elderly people do. When we experience loneliness. 
when we're just plain physically and emotionally drained, and that can be just because of life, it can be the demands of children, it can be just, you know, whatever's going on. And we just sense, God, where's God? I don't know if you've ever been there. We're saying God is so, so good, but many of us have been in this situation, and if you haven't been, you will be, where God seems absent and God seems silent, and you're saying, is God real? And those of us who have gone through those times, we can say, God is so, so good, even in the midst of it. But in those situations, think about this, that as one author pointed out in my reading, it could be worse. Because we could be facing those things without God. Without God. And when you face this without God, then the, 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 the circumstances, all the sorrows, all the, the shortcomings and all the struggles uh, seem to be the looming thing in our lives, but they pale in comparison to facing those things when we don't have God. What do we do in the face of sorrows and sadness and struggles? We come boldly to the throne of grace that we might obtain mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. We cling to the promise of God's presence when he says, I will never leave you or forsake you. And we keep going back to the Lord. And I would just leave you with this. If you would spend some time in Psalm 13 or Psalm 44, and you would see that repeatedly the psalmist pours their heart out to God. What, what are you doing? You've left me. I can't I speak to you. I, I try to hear, get you to hear my voice. I feel hammered. I feel left. I feel abandoned. And yet they keep coming back to God keep coming back to God and they understand they, they turn to God and simply uh, you know to, to you know to find him and he and he will meet us in his time and that's the joy that we have as those but those without God they certainly they turn to God to eliminate their pain or to kind of get some fire insurance and when that's our approach we're no less, we're no better than them. No better than them. Then we see the cause. Why, why, was, why was Saul without God? Why was God absent and silent for Saul? I'm skipping down to verse 18. Okay, I did it intentionally. But in verse 18, the reason for God's absence, his silence, and his vengeance on Saul that contributed to his distress was what? His disobedience. That's what the text says. I want you to look at 1 Samuel chapter 15, verses 26 and 28, which is what the reference is. You didn't do what I asked you to do. But Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. So Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to your neighbor who is better than you. And why did God do that? Because God had told Saul, You go in and you, you destroy these people. And he didn't do it. He didn't do it. He had failed uh, in, his, in his mission. And Saul's repeated failure to trust God and to obey God fully. What does he do? He plays it off as kind of an adaptation. 
you know, I'm just, I'm, just, I'm just being flexible here, Lord. In chapter 13, he did it. In chapter 15, he did it. He made excuses all the time. Just, I'm, I'm kind of winging it here. And what does God do? He says, your sin of rebellion, and this is in chapter 15, verse 23, is the same as divination. That's chapter 15. Now we're in chapter 28. It's kind of like a foreshadowing. It's just as bad, Saul. It's just as bad. What Saul deemed as wise, God saw as wicked. And I think the point is this. And you go, really, God? Just because he didn't? I mean, it's kind of a gross thing what he was asked to do in chapter 15. And destroy all of them. The king and all of them. And and their their lives, everything. And he didn't do it. Hey, question. Do you ever mess up? Do you ever fall short? Just one time. I I thought about this. I'm thinking, okay. So, uh, God's holiness... Demands absolute obedience. First Peter chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. Verse 16 says, Be ye holy, for I am holy, says the Lord. That doesn't leave any wiggle room. So, you know what? Every one of us is just like Saul in that sense. We've messed up. Oh, well, you know, I, had, I, I have an occasional lustful thought, you say, which is probably not true because you probably have more than that, but... You say, I, 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 oh, oh, once in a while I lose my temper. You know, I'm, there's been a time or two when I was jealous of somebody else. I mean, I don't gossip that much. And I rarely overeat. Rarely, seldom, infrequently, only often, not often. These are sins. I mean, uh, there's an occasional, you know, swear word that slips out, just slips out, you know. Didn't intend it, so that's an excuse. And here's the deal. God says no. Uh, absolute rebellion. 100% obedience or punishment. That's the standard that God sets. But here's the marvel. Here's the joy. Here's the blessedness. There is hope and there is reconciliation for rebels. It's an opportunity for us to be made right with God when we don't deserve it. Rebels can be reconciled. None of us measures up. None of us measures up to God's standard. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each has turned to his own way. But here's the deal. We cannot escape his wrath because of our sin apart from, apart from, apart from, apart from the forgiveness that's found in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And in the person and work of Jesus, there is forgiveness. That's the blessed hope that we, we proclaim. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, Christ died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. He died to take our place. He took upon himself the punishment that we deserved, so that all who believe could be right with him. For by grace you have been saved through faith. 
And that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not as a result of works so that no one can boast. It's a gift. The gift is extended. Now we just need to receive it. Saul hadn't received it. He rejected it. Have you received it? Have you waved the white flag of surrender, of self-control? And acknowledged you're a sinful person destined for hell, deserving of judgment, that Christ shed blood on the cross is the only claim you have to come before a righteous and holy God and turn from your sin and trusted Christ. If you haven't, today is the day of salvation. There's no better time than now. And if you have, what a joy. You see the plight of those without God, and we say, except for the grace of God, that's me. And we've been rescued. And then we see the, 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 we have the gift of salvation. We repent and believe, and guess what? God never leaves. I don't have to worry about his silence and his absence. Then we see the consequences, and here's the hammer, okay? Boom, 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 boom. Four hammer strokes that God places on those who are alienated, the consequence of alienation, okay? For Saul to seek God, God's instruction through the prophet when his habit was to ignore God <laughs> makes no sense. Uh, maybe you have some. Ever had anybody who comes to you for advice? And they come to you for advice and then they never, ever abide by your advice. You know? Oh, hey, can you help me with this? What do you think about it? What do you think I should do in this situation? You tell them, and they go do the opposite. Okay, so after a while, you kind of go, I'm busy. You know? God's busy. When those who perpetually ignore and disregard his word show up. And so what does he do? And I want you to see in your text, you need to say, the Lord, look, if you go through the Bible, say, the Lord did this, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord. Four times, the Lord. Okay? Now, first one is, the Lord departed from you. This is Samuel speaking to Saul. And he says, verse 16, and Samuel said, why then do you ask me, since the Lord has departed from you? The Lord has departed. You see, disobedience severs and and. and, and prevents and keeps us out of relationship with God, which means God is silent. And then it gets worse. The Lord has departed from you, but then the text says, and he is your adversary. Let that sink in. And here's the deal, folks. God is either our ally or he is our adversary. He is our trusted ally or he is our terrifying adversary. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. You read through the Old Testament, folks. You understand, if you're reading through the prophets, the Old Testament prophets, Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel, and what is God saying to his people who have repeatedly rebelled against him? Woe unto you. And those who are instruments of it, he doesn't take it lightly. And then, so the question I have, is he your ally or your adversary? Which is he for you? 
If you're apart from Christ, he is your adversary, but he can become your ally. That's the joy. And if he is, if you're in Christ, he is your ally. Always. It may not seem like it, but he is. Okay. Then we see this. So the first hammer is the Lord departed from you. The second one is that he is your adversary. And the third one is in verse 17. And the Lord has done according to, uh, accordingly as he spoke through me, for the Lord has torn the kingdom from you. Here's what he did. He, diso- he, he punished him. He tore it from, from Saul and he gave it to David. Disobedience disqualifies us from usefulness for God because we're antagonistic to God. I can't be used of God if I'm an antagonist to God. And so that's the, that's the punishment there. And then the fourth one is in verse 19. Moreover, the Lord will also give over Israel along with you into the hands of the Philistines. Therefore, tomorrow, you and your sons will be with me. Dead. Translate that. Dead. Okay. So what was the answer? What was... Samuel's answer, I'm going to translate this, or I'm going to kind of give you an idea uh, what I think. It doesn't say it in the text, but what is Samuel's answer to Saul's question, what should I do? Get ready to die, is basically what he says. Get ready to die. Israel's going to be beaten, and you are going to die. Um, That's not very good news. The Lord will give over Israel and you. And Samuel's prediction comes true in in chapter 31, okay? I want you to see 1 Chronicles chapter 10, verse 13, which is a, a parallel passage. So Saul died for his breach of faith. He broke faith with the Lord in that he did not keep the command of the Lord. This goes all the way back to chapter 15. Okay. And also consulted a medium seeking guidance. Remember, the sin of rebellion is as divination. Chapter 15, verse 23, there it is. It comes together. His breach of faith, his disobedience and divination brought him on his demise. See, God is against us if we are against him. But if we are with him, he is with us. The fourth and final demonstration of God's work against those who are without him is our Lord's horror grips the faithless now what's Saul's response to what he's heard so far so far look at verse 20 then Saul immediately fell full length on the ground and was very afraid because of the words of Samuel there was no strength left in him look at verse 21 the woman came to Saul and that saw that he was terrified why wouldn't he be without Christ Facing an eternity of condemnation by God? Why would he not be that way? Saul was heartbroken. That's my take on this. Now you you can disagree with me. I think he was broken. I think he was vulnerable. I think he was uh, given an opportunity, even yet, to repent and, and turn course. We see this all the way in the book of Revelation. Come now, come, come. It's not too late. It's never. All the way to the end, there's always this invitation to come and return. He has a chance here. He's got one last chance. But before he could turn, before he could repent, in the midst of his vulnerability, he was just sitting there, and, and somebody said, oh, come and eat some food. Come No, no, I can't. Guess what? Satan's tool. 
the witch of Endor, comes along and says, no, you need to eat something. You know, I risked my life giving you this answer, so now you should listen to me. Listen to me, Saul. Indulge yourself one last time with one last meal because that's the best it gets for you. Now, she didn't say that. But she enticed him to go down the road. He'd always been going down. Solve the problem yourself, Saul. Don't turn and repent and trust in this God whom you have rejected. What a sad state. He had a chance. One last chance. Oh no, Satan's there. The deceiver. He's always there hammering, always there enticing, always there drawing us away from what God would want to do in our lives. He turned to his self-indulgence and it sealed his fate. The text says what? And they went away and it was night. Not accidentally. He came in the night and he left in the night. He came in the darkness and he left in the darkness. And what a picture. What a picture. The darkness as a picture of his impending death and the destiny of eternal torment as he was about to enter eternal outer darkness. That's sad. And his horrific end is the same shared by everyone without Christ. But boy, am I glad that it doesn't have to be. Boy, am I glad that this hopelessness and the horrific end doesn't have to be. Why? Because as, as the bread and the juice that we're about to take in a few minutes, in a minute, he remind us. That there is hope in the help that God provided through His Son, Jesus Christ, who faced the darkness, entered the darkness on the cross of Calvary. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He entered the darkness so that you and I could come into the light of life. And Jesus said in John chapter 2, Eight, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. He died and he rose again so that all who believe could enjoy the light of life. Do you enjoy the light of life? Because you've repented and turned and trusted in Christ who went into the darkness so that you don't have to? I hope and I pray that it's true. And if you have, here's the deal. God has given to us the promise of His presence. He's given us the voice, His voice to guide us. And He's given us a glorious eternal inheritance. And so we rejoice. And if you haven't turned and trusted and come into the light, then I plead with you to turn from the darkness of sin and trust Christ and receive His forgiveness. It's the only way that you will live and escape the darkness. We're about to take the bread and the cup, and I would just pray that you would, or ask you to take a few moments to search your heart and confess any known sin. If you've never put your faith and your trust in Christ, it's not too late. You just uh, cry out to Him and acknowledge your sin and accept His death, Christ's death, as a payment for your sin and, and, and invite Him to be your Lord and Master and surrender your life to Him. And then you come as the Lord leads you either to the back or the front and you take the bread and the cup and take it. Nobody's compelled to take it. If you're not trusting Christ, and admonish you not to take it. If there's sin in your life that you can't deal with right now, don't take it. 
Let's pray. Father, it's a passage. It's a sad passage, but it's a joyful passage. A sad passage to see what see when we see what happens to those without God. But it reminds us and points us to the fact that we can enjoy your presence, your guidance, and your eternal inheritance if we would turn from our sin and trust in Christ as our Savior. In his precious name we pray. Thank you.